This is Thinking Freely with the ACLU of Maryland, the show where we talk about what's happening politically in Maryland from the courts to the streets. I'm your host, Amber Taylor. The First Amendment belongs to all of us so that people can speak freely without fear of government intervention. Unfortunately, for many communities, particularly black and brown people, we have seen our First Amendment rights routinely violated. The freedom of speech for people in Baltimore City, particularly black people, has been systematically suppressed when Baltimore City requires that people sign non-disclosure agreements, otherwise known as gag orders, that silence victims of police abuse as a condition for resolving their cases. Today, we are joined by Tawanda Jones, activist and leader of the West Wednesday Coalition, and Deborah Gian, the legal director for the ACLU of Maryland, to discuss the impacts of silencing survivors of police abuse and to talk about recent victories that help reimagine a First Amendment that truly belongs to all of us. Thank you for joining us today, ladies. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, thank you for inviting us. Um, so I have a couple of questions for you. Um, this has been a really exciting week um, <laughs> here in Baltimore around the gag orders and um, around, you know, what does the uh, what does the First Amendment do to really protect everyone's free speech? So, Debbie, my first question is actually for you. Can you talk about what protections um, the First Amendment provides to people? Sure. Uh, um, as you said in your introduction, the First Amendment um protects against government intrusions um, upon several basic freedoms, including the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right to assemble, and the right to petition the government for uh, redress of grievances. Um, So what makes the First Amendment so important, in my view, is that it protects our right as citizens to hold the government accountable by speaking out, protesting, um, wrongdoing by police and government officials, and petitioning the government to remedy the wrongs that do occur. Oh. And actually, in Tawanda, you, you do a lot of activist work in the city speaking out against police brutality. Um, do you ever feel like the First Amendment really does protect your ability to speak freely? In a sense, I do, but in a sense, I don't. So basically, I feel like at some points, like when I'm out there protesting, like I can, but then on particular days or whatever particularly is going on in our city, like when we had the um, uprising, um, you know, we were told we couldn't stand on this side of the street, streets that I've stand on for many years protesting, right, advocating and things of that nature. But now all of a sudden, because the media is here, now we can't do this. Now we can't have the bullhorn type of thing outside of the courthouse but we always freely speak on the microphone but now all of a sudden we can't do this so it's like you know it's one of those sometimes you can sometimes you can't and actually you know um these gag orders like they include a lot of, you know uh they we've heard a lot of them like in different contexts so we've heard them about in the me too context um we've heard them about in you know the legal discrimination cases can you actually can you just explain to us, Debbie, like what exactly is a, a gag order? Well, we call them gag orders uh, at the ACLU. Um, they're also known as non-disparagement clauses or non-disclosure agreements. Those are sort of the the terms that lawyers like to use instead to to dress them up. Um, the way it usually works is that as part of a settlement um, in litigation, the defendant agrees to pay. Um, some amount of money in order to keep the plaintiff 
quiet once the case is, is resolved. In Baltimore, the city and its police department have been insisting on this for years in almost all the, um, the police misconduct cases that have been brought in, in the courts. If they don't go to trial, where everything's done in public, the city settles them but abuses the power that it has as a, as a uh, litigant in these cases to um, keep people, to pressure people, to, to agree to give up their rights, to keep silence um, in order to get their case resolved. Um, the alternative that plaintiffs face is that they have to um, spend years more potentially um, fighting the case in court, and um, many people just can't afford to do that. They, they, they need to put to get the case resolved, to put the matter behind them, but they, you know, they don't necessarily want to give up their right to ever talk about the matter again in order to get there, but they just have no other choice. Antoanda, you are a dedicated activist in Baltimore City fighting against police brutality. I know that people have reached out to you who have signed gag orders. What are some common stories that you've heard from them? Yeah, so basically when people reach out to me, they're like, you know, um, first of all, they'd be like saying, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing, being a voice, you know, of the people that can't speak. And then the next thing is they'll go into, you know, saying like in strict confidence because they're like, I wish I could talk about what happened to me. But unfortunately, I can't because I'm under a gag order type of thing. And I'm like, that's terrible. Like, and I even had somebody reach out to me about Ashley Ogilvie you know, reached out just like, you know, trying to, you know, let me know what happened in her case. And I was like, wow. And can you tell me, like, what happened to Ashley Ophelby? Ashley Ophelby um, is the um, the lead plaintiff in a, a case about uh, uh, non-disclosure agreements um, that they still use litigating. Yeah, so basically um, she was a victim, too, of police brutality and whatnot. And so she had won her case, a civil case, I believe she won like $63,000 and whatnot. But um, so basically what had happened was she was on some type of media outlet or whatever, and someone had said something real harsh to the effect of like something regarding like, oh, a lottery ticket or they didn't do that, you're lying type of thing. And she just spoke up saying the truth. Yes, they did do that. Like I have no reason to lie. And because she spoke up, they went so far as to take half of her money back that she already won. Like, how dare they do that? Like, that's utterly ridiculous and very sad. No, and, um, and you know, in her case, and you correct me if I'm wrong, like, it had a lot of, um, you know, they think they broke into her home. Can you tell me any more about, like, you know, what you heard from about so, the So, basically, like I said, they, like, they really, like, really abused their authority. Like, she was, like, she went to something where as though anybody would be traumatized. Like, she was a true victim of police brutality. From my understanding, like, they had the wrong home. Like, she just shouldn't even have been a part of that. But, however, they took it too far, and she was abused. And because of this, you know, she was awarded a settlement. But because she spoke up, because somebody wanted to come at her and say something that was untrue, and all she stood by was truths, truths and facts. And they wanted to be like, okay, well, now we're going to take half of your settlement back, which is disgusting. And uh, and Debbie, you know, I think Ashley Over uh, Overby reached out to us about this case, um, about you know about this matter. Can you tell us why the ACLU decided to get involved in this case? Well, as as Tawanda said, it was it was an outrageous situation. Um, you know, Ashley had her her home was burglarized. She called the police for help, and instead they they beat up her and her mom. 
um, and and wrongfully arrested her. She ultimately was cleared of all, you know, it was it was a baseless arrest, and um, she the charges were dropped very promptly. But um, you know, she had the arrest on her record, which which made it hard for her to find work. She had filed this lawsuit challenging the police misconduct, and and um, did succeed in um, getting a settlement, but had one of these clauses in it, which at the time she didn't fully understand. I mean, basically it said you can't talk to reporters, can't talk to the media. When she was defending herself against some person in the public um, attacking her, she didn't think she was talking to the media. She just was defending herself and just said, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm this person that um, that there was a news article about her about the settlement and um, and in it the city attorney then the city attorney said um, that she had been she had brought this problem on herself and and as a result the article was very critical of her and had had a mugshot of her her mugshot from her wrongful arrest in with the article and so people were incited by the city attorney to say these negative things about her and she was just defending herself um, and then you know, they they ended up taking half of her money. They just they just never sent her half of her money. Her lawyer then took um, two thirds of what she was given, and she ended up getting a sixth of the amount of um, of uh, the the damages that she was entitled to. And so we just thought it was it was a terrible situation that um, you know first she'd been victimized by the police, and then she'd been victimized by the city's legal system. And so we wanted to try to help to to um, to lift up her voice to, to um, at that point she she was free to speak um, and so uh, because she'd already <laughs> suffered the consequences <laughs> and uh, and so she was uh, eager to, to stand up and fight about this and um, and the a local um, news website the Baltimore Brew wanted to join her because they have been frustrated by these agreements because they do a lot of reporting about police misconduct and trying to hold police accountable and um, and they're unable to talk to people because they they're bound by these agreements that that preclude them from talking to the media. So, the two uh, the Baltimore Brew and and Ashley joined together and brought this lawsuit. And um, and we were we honored really to to be a part of it. We we were so happy to be able to represent um, such you know a, a strong uh, advocate for police accountability. No, and and actually, there's there's been like a lot of like you know confusion. I think about you know what the difference is between when a private entity tries to silence people like as a part of an agreement, and when the government um, tries to to settle that. Can you talk a bit about like the the legal differences between those? Sure. Well, you know, I don't know that I would say that any non disclosure agreement is a good thing. Like you know, where um, the um, there's a lot of um, problems in the in the me too um, outrageous situations in the me too movement that have been covered up for years because of um, non-disclosure agreements and those are involving private parties so as a policy matter they're not they're not um, necessarily good but they are permissible for for private parties the government is different however because you know the first amendment is all about what the government can do and can't do, and um, and that imposes restrictions on the government that don't exist for private parties. And so, um, our position throughout this um, litigation has been that the First Amendment prevents the government from entering into or forcing people to um, 
pressuring people to enter into these um, gag orders, and that and that's the that's the position that um, the appellate court has re recently took in Ashley's case. When the Ashley um, and the Baltimore Brew first filed their case, it was June of 2017. Um, we, um, it was brought in federal district court in Baltimore, and um, we were arguing that, um, that the, what had happened to Ashley and the, the, um, the impediment to press access that these gag orders were creating for the brew, um, both violated the First Amendment, We're kind of coming at it from two different angles. The, the federal district judge in the case did not agree, and, um, and without even allowing us to sort of start to develop the case within a few months the judge had thrown the case out um, and said that we didn't have a f we didn't have a first amendment claim and so we appealed to the um, fourth circuit court of appeals which is the 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 court that covers you know maryland virginia south carolina north carolina and west virginia that whole region um, and uh, so we brought the we appealed our the, the decision there and argued that that the first amendment should um, prevent against this kind of thing, and um, and just we are the case was argued in late January of, of 2019, and uh, just in July, July 11th, um, the panel that had heard the case um, ruled in our favor and and said that this is indeed a violation of the First Amendment that the government doesn't have a right to try to silence its critics, whether it is doing so through like an edict, a, a, you know, a legislation, or by um, using what the court called hush money to, um, through a contract to silence those who um, would be potentially be critical of the government. You know, and coupling that with our, our legal, uh, our litigation front, we also are um, attacking it from a, uh, a public policy f perspective as well. Um, you know, just this week, on you know July twenty second, the city council had a, um, held a press conference where they introduced a bill that would just bar um, gag orders like it, it, that. City tries to reach. Twanda, you know, you were at that press conference. Can you talk to me about you know what the what that moment was, but also what the bill um, seeks to do? Yeah, so that moment was really great, not just for me, but, like, for all the victims of police brutality and just for the city in its entirety because it's something well needed. And what this bill would do, it would just, like, stop families from suffering in silence, like just holding in things and just, like, being able to get their money, talk about it. And in this bill, I like how not only did it dealt with police brutality, but it also talked about sexual abuse things of that nature that's very important that a lot of people get gagged on and people don't realize how many victims, right? So it gives them a chance as well to talk about what happened to them as well. No, and, um, you know, I'm curious actually, Debbie, what would the bill um, do in terms of like being able to couple it with the court case? Well, the, um, the legislation reinforces the, the court ruling, um, the principles of the court ruling, and would make sure that... Uh, that the ruling applies no matter what kind of um, non-disclosure agreement is is going to be proposed, because the city has said that you know it could ch could possibly change the language or has changed the language, and so um, this this legislation would be clear that no, you can't can't have any kind of a non-disclosure agreement. It also, um, as Twanda said, it it applies to. Um, um, 
discrimination cases as well as police abuse cases. And it significantly expands upon the court ruling by requiring um, uh, reporting of um, to, to further transparency and accountability um, requires that the city would report about cases that as they come up and settlements that occur in a way that provides details so that they can really we can really shine a light on those um, on those instances where the city does enter into these um, agreements and they can no longer be you know brushed under the rug and um, then we can use that information to hold police accountable in a way that we're, we're not able to do right now where um, all of these cases are hushed up as they, as they get resolved. In part, I think because Baltimore is such an outlier in requiring among big cities, East Coast cities, there's almost none, no other big cities that require these kinds of gag orders on, on plaintiffs who settle. So as, a, as I guess partly due to that circumstance, there hasn't been a lot of uh, court cases challenging the practice and almost nothing else out there when, as we you know, made our way through the courts, which is in part why the district court didn't have any precedent to look to. And Tawanda, we just came up on the sixth year anniversary of your brother Tyrone West being killed by police. I know that your family also went through a really long and painful process in order to reach a settlement agreement. Can you talk to us about how the city introduced the concept of gag orders during that process? Basically, it would, like, help because when I think about what my family went through, like, you're already being victimized. Like, your loved one's no longer here. Then on top of that, you're being traumatized. You know, now, you know, you know, you can't talk about stuff. And, you know, it's just they, they want to craft your language and they wait to the very last moment to tell you that. And... And it's just sickening and disgusting to me. So this means a whole lot. This is very important to me. And uh, it's like, because to me, whenever you condone silence, that's condoning police violence when you're making somebody be quiet. Because as a parent, I teach my children that let me know what's wrong. Let me know so I can help you out type of thing. If I'm advocating to them as well as my students that I teach, and it's just anybody's child. Like, if anything is not right, you can come to me and talk to me about it because they need that. How else am I going to address it? How are we going to know who the offenders are or who's doing what or somebody's bullying them at school if they're not saying anything? And for the city to have something like that is very shameful and disgraceful. When everything went down, which was horrible, I don't even like the way they try to, like, talk to you about your loved one as if they're talking about property or something like that and they're talking about the loss of your loved one you can't put a dollar amount on that let's be crystal clear on nobody's life you know but for them to break down all this and that and then at the very last minute they go and then you're you're all ready to sound like okay whatever you know you know, because you got some people that don't want to go through the painful things and hearing about, like, the testimony about how the officers beat and tortured him type of thing. So they're like, you know, we can't do this. And I'm like, I feel you. Let, you know, but then when it gets down to that very last moment, then I'm like, oh, well, as you sign your name on the, the dotted line down there and by the date, make sure, you know, it's just a little small. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's just a small disparagement agreement. I'm like, what is that? You need to explain that to me. Well, what's happening is we're going to kind of craft your language type of thing, tell you what you can and can't say. That way you won't lose the monies. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Nobody's going to craft anything that I say or do. 
You know, didn't nobody stop these killers from murdering my brother. And there's no way I'm going to just, like, sit back and let you write up something that I can and can't say. Oh, no. City taxpayers are the ones who are paying for, you know, these millions of dollars in settlement agreements. Um, do either of y'all know, like, the, the scale of the problem? Like, you know, or it's because of the nature of it, we, we just don't know. Well, there's not a lot of information out there about the scale of it. There has been some, the Baltimore Sun has done a couple of um, stories about, you know, over this period of time from that, you know, that this date to that date, there have been so many millions spent. But um, the grand scheme of, of what has gone on for like the last decade, I don't think we know and, and don't have adequate information about be in part because of all the um the cover-ups that are occurring yes and i and i honestly think they it's it's designed that way because they don't want us to know people would be like so when people started hearing that oh just the first two cops ruiz and chapman they kind of broke the city like they spent millions of dollars on it to repeat violent offenders but yet they're still working to this day for the baltimore city police department they're still actively working like, and they're working with full immunity, and they got pay raises and all that. They got, you know, like, I believe Ruiz now is like a, a sergeant somewhere, you know, and um, Chapman, his pay scale, salary went up. So it's just horrible. It's disgusting. Um, in Salisbury, uh, which is a, you know, a small, medium-sized city on the eastern shore, um, they had a. They were using these confidentiality agreements, but they were a little different from the ones in Baltimore because they silenced both sides, both the city and the plaintiffs that were settling these cases, were required to um, to agree to to keep the keep the um, the information about the case confidential. So that case, we filed it actually on the same day that we filed Ashley's case in, in um, federal court, but that one we filed in state court, um, and we challenged the practice there, not under the First Amendment, but under the Maryland Public Information Act, saying that you know the, the city of Salisbury could not, under that law, refused to provide information about the settlement that they had entered into about, uh, you know, abusive police officers in their community and how much had been paid. They were keeping everything about the case confidential. Um, and so um, we said that that violated the Maryland Public Information Act. And, um, you know, this, this, the, the judge sitting there in Wicomico County Circuit Court agreed with us and ruled that, yes, indeed, the, the Maryland Public Information Act prevents the government in Salisbury or any other government in Maryland from refusing to provide information about um, about settlements that it has entered into. And so um, the, the, um, the lawyers in that case decided not to appeal, and so it, it, um, it, was, it was set in law. And um, my understanding is that the, um, the insurance group, the local government insurance trust that represents lots of um, cities and towns around Maryland has, has changed their policy and, and no, no longer uses these nondisclosure agreements and civil rights settlements that they enter into. So that had a really lasting impact on not just Salisbury, but other communities around Maryland. Yeah, and there's been like a lot of you know talk about these type of things, but we really want to make sure that our listeners have tangible ways to get involved. Um, 
Debbie, do you know some like ways that people can support this this effort? Well, I think um, you know we're happy to provide information about the legislation that um, that is has been proposed by the city council president and um, and other city council members in Baltimore, and we would ask you to like you know call your call your city council members and urge them to support the bill because that will really uh, make a difference and um, and make certain that um, these kinds of non-disclosure agreements, non-disparagement clauses can no longer be used in Baltimore. And Tawanda, you know, is there anything that you think you, like, there are other listeners should like, add to make sure that they can support this effort? Yeah, so just to echo what um, Debbie just said, you know, get in contact with your local um, people to help out your local community um, people and whatnot and tell them to call all the councilmen in their communities. And But to further that is I just noticed that when we did the press conference this week, I noticed that the mayor came out and he stated that, oh, you know, this is not true, that people haven't been gagged in two years. And I'm looking like, are you kidding me? How can people learn about the work that you and the West Coalition are doing? Yeah, so from day one when they murdered my brother, I always said my cousin, she started to saying that they killed the wrong man, but they truly got the right family, a family that's going to fight for them to the very end. Like I said, and this is my saying, we're more than hashtags and body bags. We're more than being six feet in the dirt and pictures and buttons on T-shirts. And we will not be gagged or silenced about the police violence. So, um, you know, basically we've been out here now for 312 weeks, 1,285 days. I count down every single day. If they didn't notice that I didn't leave yet, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and so I urge people to join West Wednesday. If they want to get involved, they can reach me at um, my email, and that's Miss Tawanda, M-I-S-S-T-A-W-A-N-D-A-1-7 at yahoo.com, or they can reach out to me on my brother's page, Justice for Tyrone West, or reach out on my page, Tawanda Jones. We're all so grateful to Tawanda for her activism. It's just incredible. Debbie, I wanted to ask you, what do you want our listeners to know about the First Amendment, like making sure that they know this is this is also an amendment that truly impacts everyone and is protecting everyone? Right. As you know, Amber, um, the ACLU of Maryland has really been trying to um, reimagine what the First Amendment can be and how, it, how we can do First Amendment work in this community that um, really... Uh, make sure that the rights of people whose, whose rights have previously been overlooked or who, um, who haven't benefited as much from the protections of the Constitution as, um, as, as powerful people have in the past um, are protected now. And so we're really focusing our work on um, cases like this one where people who have previously not had their voices heard are having their chance to, um, to, win, to win strong protection um, of their constitutional rights, and so that's that's our goal, and um, and we're we're feeling like we're on the path now um, through cases like this to make that happen. Well, ladies, you know I really appreciate you know you taking the time out to talk to us today. This is a really impactful conversation, and um, I'm looking forward to when we can just check this off the list um, and move on to the next issue. <laughs> right, because we have issue after issue in this city, but at least tackling one by one, we know justice is truly being done absolutely thank you thank you thank you thank you for listening 
We hope you can join us next month for another episode on what's happening politically in Maryland from the courts to the streets. To learn more about our work, visit our website at aclu-md.org. If you like Thinking Freely, make sure to rate and subscribe to us from wherever you get your podcasts. Our show was edited and produced by Nehemiah Bester and recorded at the Baltimore Improv Group. I'm Amber Taylor, the host and producer for Thinking Freely. Till next time.